Hello there, and welcome to this week's episode of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest, and tonight I'll be reading The Little Mermaid to you, part one. Look out for part two next week. Thank you for joining me. If you would like to support this podcast whilst getting access to every single episode so far, then join me on patreon.com slash down to sleep, where you get two episodes every week, and I get to read books to you like Jurassic Park, The Lord of the Rings, Twilight, and more. If you would like a preview of some of the episodes you can hear on the Patreon, then check out youtube.com slash down to sleep, where you can hear some of those episodes for free. Let's go ahead and tuck you in now, and begin tonight's story. The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen Far out in the ocean, the water is as blue as the petals of the loveliest cornflower, and as clear as the purest glass. But it is very deep, too. It goes down deeper than any anchor rope will go, and many, many steeples would have to be stacked, one on top of another, to reach the bottom, to the surface of the sea. It is down there that the sea folk live. Now, don't suppose that there are only bare white sands at the bottom of the sea. No, indeed. The most marvellous trees and flowers grow down there, with such pliant stalks and leaves that... The least stir in the water makes them move about as though they were alive. All sorts of fish, large and small, dart among the branches, just as birds would flit through the trees up here. From the deepest spot in the ocean rises the palace of the Sea King. Its walls are made of coral, and its high-pointed windows of the clearest amber, but the roof is made of mussel shells that open and shut with the tide. This is a wonderful sight to see, for every shell holds glistening pearls, any one of which would be the pride of a queen's crown. The sea king down there had been a widower for years and his old mother kept house for him. She was a clever woman, but very proud of her noble birth. Therefore she flaunted twelve oysters on her tail, while the other ladies of the court were only allowed to wear six. Except for this, she was an altogether praiseworthy person, particularly so because she was extremely fond of her granddaughters, the little sea princesses. They were six lovely girls, but the youngest was the most beautiful of them all. Her skin was as soft and tender as a rose petal, and her eyes were as blue as the deep sea. But like all the others, she had no feet. Her body ended in a fishtail, the whole day long they used to play in the palace, down in the great halls where live flowers grew on the walls. Whenever the high amber windows were thrown open, 
fish would swim in, just as swallows dart into our rooms when we open the windows. But these fish, now, would swim right up to the little princesses to eat out of their hands, and let themselves be petted. Outside the palace was a big garden, with flaming red and deep blue trees. Their fruit glittered like gold, and their blossoms flamed like fire on their constantly waving stalks. The soil was very fine sand indeed, but as blue as burning brimstone. A strange blue veil lay over everything down there. You would have thought yourself aloft in the air, with only the blue sky above and beneath you, rather than down at the bottom of the sea. When there was a dead calm, you could just see the sun, like a scarlet flower with light streaming from its calyx. Each little princess had her own small garden plot, where she could dig and plant whatever she liked. One of them made her little flower bed in the shape of a whale. Another thought it neater to shape hers like a little mermaid. But the youngest of them made hers as round as the sun. And there she only grew flowers which were as red as the sun itself. She was an unusual child, quiet and wistful. And when her sisters decorated their gardens with all kinds of odd things that they had found in sunken ships, she would allow nothing in hers except flowers as red as the sun and a pretty marble statue. This figure of a handsome boy, carved in pure white marble, it had sunk down to the bottom of the sea from some ship that was wrecked. Beside the statue she planted a rose-colored weeping willow tree, which thrived so well that its graceful branches shaded the statue and hung down to the blue sand, where their shadows took on a violet tint and swayed as the branches swayed. It looked as if the roots and the tips of the branches were kissing each other in play. Nothing gave the youngest princess such pleasure as to hear about the world of human beings up above them. Her old grandmother had to tell her all she knew about ships and cities, of people and animals. What seemed nicest of all to her was that up on land the flowers were fragrant, for those at the bottom of the sea had no scent. And she thought it was nice that the woods were green, and that the fish that you saw among their branches could sing so loud and sweet that it was delightful to hear them. Her grandmother had to call the little birds fish, or the princess would not have known what she was talking about. 
for she had never seen a bird. When you get to be fifteen, her grandmother said, you will be allowed to rise up out of the ocean and sit on the rocks in the moonlight to watch the great ships sailing by. You will see woods and towns too. Next year, one of her sisters would be fifteen, but the others, well, since each was a whole year older than the next, the youngest still had five long years to wait until she could rise up from the water and see what our world was like. But each sister promised to tell the others about all that she saw and what she found most marvellous on her first day. Their grandmother had not told them half enough, and there were so many things that they longed to know about. The most eager of them all was the youngest, the very one who was so quiet and wistful. Many a night she stood by her open window and looked up through the dark blue water where the fish waved their fins and tails. She could just see the moon and the stars. To be sure, their light was quite dim, but looked at through the water, they seemed much bigger than they appear to us. Whenever a cloud-like shadow swept across them, she knew that it was either a whale swimming overhead, or a ship with many human beings aboard. Little did they dream that a pretty young mermaid was down below, stretching her white arms up towards the keel of their ship. The eldest princess had her fifteenth birthday, so now she received permission to rise up out of the water. When she got back, she had a hundred things to tell her sisters about. But the most marvellous thing of all, she said, was to lie on a sandbar in the moonlight, when the sea was calm, and to gaze at the large city on the shore, where the lights twinkled like hundreds of stars, to listen to music, to hear the chatter and clamour of carriages and people, to see so many church towers and spires, to hear the ringing bells. Because she could not enter the city, that was just what she most dearly longed to do. Oh, how intently the youngest sister listened. After this, whenever she stood at her open window at night and looked up through the dark blue waters, she thought of that great city with its clatter and clamour, and even fancied that in these depths she could hear the church bells ring. The next year, her second sister had permission to rise up to the surface and swim wherever she pleased. She came up just at sunset, and she said that this spectacle was the most marvellous sight that she had ever seen. The heavens had a golden glow, and as for the clouds, she could not find words to describe their beauty. 
splashed with red and tinted with violet. They sailed over her head. But much faster than the sailing clouds were wild swans in a flock, like a long white veil trailing above the sea. They flew towards the sun. She too swam toward it, but down it went, and all the rose-colored glow faded from the sea and the sky. The following year, her third sister ascended, and as she was the boldest of them all, she swam up a broad river that flowed into the ocean. She saw gloriously green, vine-colored hills. Palaces and manor-houses could be glimpsed through the splendid woods. She heard all the birds sing, and the sun shone so brightly that often she had to dive under the water to cool her burning face. In a small cove she found a whole school of mortal children paddling about in the water naked. She wanted to play with them, but they took fright and ran away. Then along came a little black animal. It was a dog, but she had never seen a dog before. It barked at her so ferociously that she took fright herself and fled to the open sea. But never could she forget the splendid woods, the green hills, and the nice children who could swim in the water, although they didn't wear fishtails. The fourth sister was not so venturesome. She stayed far out among the rough waves, which she said was a marvellous place. You could see all around you for miles and miles, and the heavens up above you were like a vast dome of glass. She had seen ships, but they were so far away that they looked like seagulls. Playful dolphins had turned somersaults, and monstrous whales had spouted water through their nostrils, so that it looked as if hundreds of fountains were playing all around them. Now the fifth sister had her turn. Her birthday came in the winter time so she saw things that none of the others had seen. The sea was a deep green color, and enormous icebergs drifted about. Each one glistened like a pearl, but they were more lofty than any church steeple built by man. They assumed the most fantastic shapes and sparkled like diamonds, she had seated herself on the largest one, and all the ships that came sailing by sped away as soon as the frightened sailors saw her there, with her long hair blowing in the wind. In the late evening clouds filled the sky. Thunder cracked and lightning darted across the heavens. Black waves lifted those great bergs of ice on high where they flashed when the lightning struck. On all the ships the sails were reefed. There was fear 
and trembling. But quietly she sat there upon her drifting iceberg and watched the blue forked lightning strike the sea. Each of the sisters took delight in the lovely new sights when she first rose up to the surface of the sea. But when they became grown-up girls who were allowed to go wherever they liked, they became indifferent to it. They would become homesick, and in a month they said there was no place like the bottom of the sea where they felt so completely at home. On many an evening the older sisters would rise to the surface arm in arm, all five in a row. They had beautiful voices, more charming than any of those mortal beings. When a storm was brewing and they anticipated a shipwreck, they would swim before the ship and sing, most seductively, of how beautiful it was at the bottom of the ocean trying to overcome the prejudice that the sailors had against coming down to them. But people could not understand their song, and mistook it for the voice of the storm. Nor was it for them to see the glories of the deep. When their ship went down, they were drowned, and it was as dead men that they reached the Sea King's palace. On the evenings when the mermaids rose through the water like this, arm in arm, their youngest sister stayed behind, all alone, looking after them, wanting to weep. But a mermaid has no tears, and therefore she suffers so much more. Oh, how I do wish I were fifteen, she said. I know I shall love that world up there and all the people who live in it. And at last, she too came to fifteen. Now I'll have you off my hands, said her grandmother. Come, let me adorn you like your sisters. In the little maid's hair she put a wreath of white lilies, each petal which was formed from the half of a pearl, and the old queen let eight big oysters fasten themselves to the princess's tail as a sign of her high rank. But that hurts, said the little mermaid. You must put up with a good deal to keep up appearances, her grandmother told her. Oh, how gladly she would have shaken off all of these decorations and laid aside the cumbersome wreath. The red flowers in her garden were much more becoming to her, but she didn't dare to make any changes. Goodbye, she said, and up she went through the water, as light and as sparkling as a bubble. The sun had just gone down when her head rose above the surface but the clouds still shone like gold and roses, and in the delicately tinted sky sparkled the clear gleam of an evening star. The air was mild and fresh and the sea unruffled. A great three-master lay in view with 
only one of its sails set, for there was not even the whisper of a breeze. The sailors idled about in the rigging and on the yards. There was music and singing on the ship, and as night came, on they lighted hundreds of such brightly colored lanterns that one might have thought the flags of all nations were swinging in the air. The little mermaid swam right up to the window of the main cabin, and each time she rose with the swell she could peep in through the clear glass panes, looking at the crowd of brilliantly dressed people within. The handsomest of them all was a young prince with big dark eyes. He could not be more than sixteen years old. It was his birthday, and that was the reason for all the celebration. Up on deck the sailors were dancing, and when the prince appeared among them, a hundred or more rockets flew through the air, making it as bright as day. These startled the little mermaid so badly that she ducked under the water, but she soon peeped up again and then it seemed as if all the stars in the sky were falling around her. Never had she seen such fireworks. Great suns spun around, splendid firefish floated through blue air, and all of these things were mirrored in the crystal-clear sea. It was so brilliantly bright that she could see every little rope of the ship, and the people could be seen distinctly. Oh, how handsome the young prince was! He laughed, and he smiled, and shook people by the hand, while the music rang out in the perfect evening. It got very late, but the little mermaid could not take her eyes off of the ship and the handsome prince. The brightly colored lanterns were put out. No more rockets flew through the air. No more cannon boomed. But there was a mutter and rumble deep down in the sea, and the swell kept bouncing her up so high that she could look into the cabin. Now the ship began to sail. Canvas after canvas was spread in the wind. The waves rose high, great clouds gathered. Lightning flashed in the distance. They were in for a terrible storm and the mariners made haste to reef the sails. The tall ship pitched and rolled as it sped through the angry sea. The waves rose up like towering black mountains, as if they would break over the masthead. But the swan-like ship plunged into the valleys between such waves and emerged to ride their lofty heights. To the little mermaid this seemed like good sport, but to the sailors it was nothing of the sort. The ship creaked and labored, thick timbers gave way under heavy blows, 
waves broke over the ship. The main mast snapped in two like a reed. The ship listed over on its side, and water burst into the hold. Now the little mermaid saw that people were in peril, and that she herself must take care to avoid the beams and the wreckage tossed about by the sea. One moment it would be black as pitch, and she couldn't see a thing. Next moment the lightning would flash so brightly that she could distinguish every soul on board. Everyone was looking out for himself as best he could. She watched closely for the young prince, and when the ship split in two she saw him sink down in the sea. At first she was overjoyed that he would be with her, but then she recalled that human people could not live under the water, and he could only visit her father's palace as a dead man. No, he should not die. So she swam in among all the floating planks and beams, completely forgetting that they might crush her. She dived through the waves and rode their crests until at length she reached the young prince. He was no longer able to swim in that raging sea. His arms and legs were exhausted. His beautiful eyes were closing, and he would have died if the little mermaid had not come to help him. She held his head above water, and let the waves take them wherever the waves went. At daybreak, when the storm was over, not a trace of the ship was in view. The sun rose out of the waters red and bright, and its beams seemed to bring the glow of life back to the cheeks of the prince. His eyes remained closed. The mermaid kissed his high and shapely forehead. As she stroked his wet hair in place, it seemed to her that he looked just like that marble statue in her little garden. She kissed him again and hoped that he would live. She saw dry land rise before her in high blue mountains, topped with snow as glistening white as if a flock of swans were resting there. Down by the shore were splendid green woods, and in the foreground stood a church, or perhaps a convent. She didn't know which, but anyway it was a building. Orange and lemon trees grew in its garden, and tall palm trees grew besides the gateway. Here the sea formed a little harbour, quite calm and very deep. Fine white sand had been washed up below the cliffs. She swam there with the handsome prince and stretched him out on the sand taking special care to pillow his head up high in warm sunlight. 
the bells began to ring in the great white building, and a number of young girls came out into the garden. The little mermaid swam away, behind some tall rocks that stuck out of the water. She covered her hair and her shoulders with foam so that no one could see her tiny face. And then she watched to see who would find the poor prince. In a little while one of the girls came upon him. She seemed frightened, but only for a minute, and then she called for more people. The mermaid watched the prince regain consciousness and smile at everyone around him. But he did not smile at her, for he did not even know that she had saved him. She felt very unhappy. And when they led him away to the big building, she dived sadly down into the water and returned to her father's palace. She had always been quiet and wistful, and now she became much more so. Her sisters asked her what she had seen on her first visit up to the surface, but she would not tell them a thing. And that is where we close the book on tonight's episode of Down to Sleep. This was part one of The Little Mermaid, and next week you can hear part two, which is the ending. I'll see you there. Until next time, sleep well, thank you, and good night.